Well, thank you. It's great to be here. Always good to see other brothers and sisters. Uh, there's obviously something that's uh, special about having your own church and your own people that you know, but it's also very special sometimes to step out a little bit and to see other brothers and sisters and be reminded that we are all seeking after the same goals and that we have the same uh, focus in mind. Uh, to be reminded of the same uh, heart for uh, missions and the same, uh, the same passion for the Lord. And so what a privilege it is to be with you this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, I'd like to encourage you to open to the book of Psalms. Psalm uh, 85 is where we'll be this morning, particularly Psalm 85 and looking at verses 8 through 10. So just a couple of verses of this psalm that I want to spend some time looking at with you this morning. Let's begin just by reading that together. Psalm 85, verses 8 through 10. The psalmist begins like this. Let me hear what the Lord God, what what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Let's pray once more. Our God, we pray that this time this morning as we look at your word, we would hear the message that you would have to speak to our lives and our hearts this morning. I pray that this wouldn't be about um, just... I'm trying to, to speak smoothly, although I pray that I would not be a stumbling block. I mean, we pray that your word will ring and resound in our lives. We praise you for the work that you're doing in, in our lives, and I thank you for the, the work that you're doing in this church. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. There is a word that I learned about recently. There are actually a number of words that don't exist in the English language, but can be found in other languages. But it's interesting because they still describe experiences that we all know and and that we all have, have been a part of. The word that I learned about recently is this word that comes from the Inuit language, and it's this, iktsuarpak. Now, I'm trusting the internet to tell me because I'm not fluent um, in Inuit, but iktsuarpak describes the experience. You might not know the word, but I think you know the experience. It dis- it's that word for the feeling that you have when maybe you've prepared to have guests over and they haven't quite arrived yet. You know, you've, you've finished everything. You've got the meal ready. You've got everything ready to go and they haven't come yet. And so you keep kind of walking to the window to see if anyone's arrived yet. You're not sure if, if they're there. Well, they have a word for this and it is this iktsarpak. You know the experience. And I think that word, I think that's so fitting for us to put a name on that experience. Because that feeling, that expectation, that going to the window to check to see if they've arrived yet, that so describes the feeling that we should have as Christians, particularly through the Christmas season, but always as we wait for the coming of our Savior. We use the word Advent around Christmas, and Advent, of course, is just the the word meaning the coming or the beginning of something important. And so we can speak of Jesus as having a first Advent, a first coming that we celebrate at Christmas, and a second coming that we long for and we wait for with anticipation. Well, at our church, just up the street, 
um, you know, less than 10 minutes up Broad Street, we've been considering together who Jesus is as our king. As we look in expectation for this king around Christmas time, who exactly is this king? And so the message for us that I'd like to share with you as well is found here in, in Psalm 85. This is a psalm of expectation. You can see it if you have a title there in the ESV, this, this desire to revive us again. That's what's being looked for here. They're, the people here, the sons of Korah, are saying, Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. They're looking back to the time when God was faithful and God rescued his people. And they're longing for him to return again. You can hear this uh, plea for grace in verse 6. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you for an answer. We read in verse 7. This is a desire for God to come. And what particular message are they looking for? What particular message do they hear? We hear it in verse 8 here. Let me hear what the Lord God, what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. And so the reminder for us this morning is that Jesus is the king of peace. He is the one who can bring peace. So this is a psalm of longing. It's a, it's a song of expectation. It's a song, a psalm of ichtsuarpak. These verses are, are, are a plea, a struggle to hear what the Lord will say. And that's what we need as well. We know at least from some places in this context, the psalm, other psalms speak about the destruction of the temple. And it might be that that's the sort of thing that the original psalmist had in mind. They're, they're looking for enemies to be defeated. They're looking for God to triumph in the world. But we know also that this psalm was sung again and again as God's people looked ahead toward God's rescue, God's restoration of his people. And it's a restoration that only comes through Jesus Christ. And so this psalm recounts God's faithfulness and it brings, it comes to this point where the psalmist says, he will speak peace to his people. And that really is the one thing, if there's one thing that you hear this morning, this is it. It should be true of us all that we listen to the voice that speaks peace. We should listen to the voice that speaks peace. Now, if we're going to seek to do that, this psalm is actually going to help us to understand what sort of person it is that can listen to this voice that speaks peace. And that's the message that we have this morning. Around Christmas time, the, the uh, turning of the year, there is no shortage of talk about peace. We hear it all over. It's in the songs. It's, it shows up everywhere. It's even in the advertising. It characterizes so much of this season. In the work that I do, I also, in addition to, to being a pastor at Paramount, I also run a homeless shelter at downtown Columbus. And one of the things that we see that's interesting is that right around Christmas time, there tends to be a little bit of a drop. We'll lose several people who, who don't need to stay in the shelter because they can go and stay with family for the holidays. But then 
as soon as the holiday's over, they're right back to it again. Because this peace that comes from just celebrating the holidays, the fuzzy feeling of peace is not a peace that lasts. The peace that we're looking to hear about, the peace that King Jesus tells us about is a peace that lasts. You know, the call for peace in the New Testament is high. Think for a moment about how Jesus calls his people not to worry each day. Or how Jesus calls his people to make peace. He even tells them, if someone strikes you on one cheek, what do you do? You don't strike them back. You turn the other cheek to them and let them hit that one too. And we in our flesh and our, hum- our, our fallen humanity, we hear that and we hear, that's crazy. We wouldn't do that. But the call of peace from Jesus is high. And there are so many ways that our lives are not characterized by the rule of the king of peace. You, you don't need me to tell you that the holidays are, are regularly filled with stress, with worry. Is everything going to be right? Can we, can we uh, you know, get along with these, this family member or, or that? How can we be the sort of person who can hear this voice that speaks peace, who can say with this psalmist, let me hear what God the Lord will speak? for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. You know, I was uh, riding in my car not too long ago. I'm, I also uh, I do music at Paramount, and I'm a musician. And I, I like to teach my kids about how a music works and how to hear it. And the other day, we were riding along in the car. And I, I don't remember the song, but it was a song that I, I had not noticed has a really active and really cool bass line. And I was hearing the boom, 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 boom. Like I was hearing the bass line. And I was like, do you hear that, kids? And they were like, no. They could hear the melody. They knew the song. But they couldn't hear all of the different pieces of the song. They couldn't hear the bass line. It takes a kind of training of the, of the ear to be able to hear all of the different parts that go into a song. And in a, in a similar kind of way, for us to be the kind of people who can hear the voice that speaks peace like this, We need to be the kind of person that can hear it. We need to have our ears trained to be able to hear it. There is a a sort of determination to it. In verse 8, we hear this, let me hear. You could also translate that as, I will hear. These verses are a kind of turn in the psalm where it's gone from God, save us, God, please come do this to a now, a kind of confidence. My God is faithful. That's what's happening now. I will hear. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people. There's a determination that allows us to hear this voice. But who else is he speaking to? We hear to his people. These are people that belong to him. This is as good a time as any to just take a moment to ask, do you belong to Christ? Are you one of his? 
You know, we are born into a world where every one of us, by default, is turned away from God. We don't seek after him and we don't desire him. We are, we are filled instead with, with sin and with trying to satisfy ourselves with our own uh, ways of living. But God, rather than just leaving us to our, to our own devices, and even instead of turning us and sending us away from him into judgment and hell, instead what he does is he sends Jesus Christ, fully God, and fully man as a baby to grow and to live a perfect life that you and I could not live and yet still to die the death that we deserved and to be raised again in victory. If you believe this morning that Jesus Christ died for you, that his death was yours, then you belong to him. That's the first way to be able to hear this voice is to know with confidence that you belong to him. He speaks peace to his people, to his saints, to his godly ones, is what some translations will say. This doesn't mean that you and I are perfect, but but that more and more every day we are characterized by the very character of God that his love shows in our lives, that his mercy is on display in our actions. There's also a kind of wisdom that comes here in being able to hear the voice, of, of, uh, the voice that speaks peace. We can hear it here. Let them not turn back to folly in verse 8. And then surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. If you're an attentive reader of the Bible, and I hope that you are, you recognize some of these things. Fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord, that's that's the beginning of knowledge we learn from Proverbs, right? Who Understanding who we are in the light of who God is, is the beginning of being able to sort out all of how life works, to, to find our place in this world. Fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But the opposite of wisdom is folly, foolishness, seeking our own way. And so as we grow in understanding who we are in the light of who God is and what God has done, we actually grow in our ability to be able to hear this voice, to to not be in, in panic mode all of the time, but to be able to instead hear the voice of God. You know, this text is a fantastic example of a dynamic that we read about in Philippians. You might know these verses. Philippians, in chapter 4, beginning in verse 6, we hear this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And, hear it, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This here is the exact same kind of thing that we're reading in Psalm 85. You can hear this this determination, this pleading, this coming to God with all of the worries and the anxieties. 
This, uh, the peace of God which surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is that belonging, that godliness. This is a praying in faith, not folly. And this really is a, a kind of struggle that I think you and I are probably both familiar with. It's where you feel that uh, that, that worry, you feel the panic of life setting in. You're not sure what to do. You, whatever it is that's happening, you don't feel peace. And you know, well, I'm feeling anxious. I, I should bring these anxieties to the Lord. But sometimes it's, you don't feel it, or you want to try to do it your own way, or something else is happening. And it really is this kind of struggle to turn to the Lord, to cry out to the Lord, and, and in doing that, this back and forth conversation, we cry out to him and we say, save me, God, help me. And in that process of us crying out to God, the voice that speaks peace speaks back to us. It guards our hearts. It protects us. It is the rule of the king of peace in our lives. Could it be that if you don't have this sort of peace or in those moments where you don't, you're not having the right conversation? What do I mean? Well, it's easy to think about the sorts of, of things that run through your head when we go into that kind of worry or panic mode. What if this? What about this? I got to do this. What about this? And we're speaking, but we're talking to ourselves. That's the conversation that we're having. When, When maybe the conversation that we should be having is one that is crying out to the Lord with a determination that I will hear what the Lord God will speak. What conversation are you having Another characteristic of this this person who's able to listen to the voice that speaks peace is a kind of certainty. Hear it here in verse 9. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. We have this surely, this certainty. Now, this, this doesn't mean that you and I never have a single doubt in our lives. But it's also not just a kind of, uh, well, I, I go to God and I pray and, and it makes me feel better. It's not just a kind of wishful thinking. Instead, what we have is a certainty that comes from knowing who God is and knowing what he has done. We've already seen that the psalmist begins by recounting the faithfulness of God and the ways that he was faithful beforehand. One thing that's fascinating to think about when you read through your Bible is the ways that, uh, because it was written by so many authors and over such a large period of time, you can see sometimes where an author probably has a kind of previous passage or something like that in mind. And a lot of the commentators on Psalm 85 suggest that Exodus 34 is probably what this psalmist has in mind. 
Let me read a few verses from, from Exodus 34 for you so that we can hear the way that this psalmist looks back on who God is and on the faithfulness of God. In Exodus 34, beginning in verse 4, we'll start. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. And he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. You can hear here this declaration from God about who he is. But when you hear these verses, you can also hear a, an almost contradiction. Because here we hear a God who will not let the guilty go unpunished. And yet, he is merciful and gracious, and he forgives iniquity and transgression. See, both are true about our God. He will ensure that there is perfect justice. But he will also be forgiving. And here in these verses, we see God appearing to Moses in a cloud. And that's a number, there's a number of places in Exodus and other places where that happens, where we see God appearing before someone and they fall down and they worship because that's the only sort of response that one can have to God. And so when we read here that glory may dwell in our land, the glory of God present among his people is the expectation of the story of the Bible. That is where you and I are headed, where God himself, his unspeakable, Unspeakable love and goodness and glory is present with his people. And there is no stopping God from ensuring that that happens. It will happen. This is a, a confidence. When we begin to see the glory of God for what it is, then everything else begins to, to fade in significance. It, isn't, it doesn't have the same weight that it used to have because we see God for who he is. Our worries no longer have the same power over us because we have instead the glory of God that is worthy of our worship and our hearts and minds. We don't come to God simply because he makes us feel less stressed. But as we find our joy in him, as we see more the glory of God for who he is, 
all of the other things begin to, to fade away. We don't want to have the quest for peace be what we're after, right? It, it might be that, that we will feel some anxiety, but what that should do in us is it prompts us to come back to the Lord, to come to him with certainty that his voice will speak to us, that he will come again, and that there is no doubting it. It is absolutely certain. Finally, if we must be the people who listen to the voice that speaks peace, then we need to know what it means to say peace. You know, there can be uh, fake versions of peace that exist all over the place. People uh, just try to get along with one another. They might maintain the peace by taboos. Maybe you've seen this at Thanksgiving or at Christmas where there's a particular family member where, where you know we just don't bring up this topic. Right? Whatever you do, don't say this because all semblance of peace will be gone the second somebody says that. That's not peace. The peace of Christ isn't maintained by keeping taboos, by having a list of, of things that we can't talk about or that we can't do. It, the peace of Christ is not, a, is not a, a peace that discards justice or says, oh, it's fine, whatever you did, we just won't talk about it, it's over. Because that so often is a breeding ground for bitterness in our hearts. We're not talking about it, but that doesn't mean we're not thinking about it. I didn't forget. Not going to forget. That is, a, that is a recipe for disaster. That's a breeding ground for bitterness. That is not the peace of Christ. That's not the peace that our king brings. For us to, to see so many of these pieces together, we need to, to see who God is. And we need to know what peace means. You know, the word that's used for peace here and often in the Bible is the Hebrew word shalom. It's a word that, that means peace, yes. And at this point, it's used often as just kind of a greeting. But, but in the Bible, the word has a, has a much deeper and richer meaning. Shalom doesn't just mean the absence of conflict. It doesn't mean, well, nobody's actively fighting right now. Instead, it's the presence of wholeness. Things are as they should be. Everything is in its right place. That's shalom in the Bible. That's what we look for when we look for peace. It's the presence of fullness and wholeness of things as they should be. And here the psalmist considers the character of God. In verse 10, steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. 
You remember I said it a moment ago, it appears that this psalmist has in mind Exodus 34. That very contradiction of how can it be that the God who forgives iniquity is the God who also will not leave justice uh, unserved. Like will ensure that wrongdoing is punished. How can it be both? And the psalmist here, the sons of Korah, they didn't know. It wasn't a full picture for them of how God might make this possible. But you can see them looking forward to it. Love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Righteousness. Everything uh, right. Justice. And peace. They meet together. They meet together in a unique way for us as we consider who Jesus is and what he did for us. As we celebrate at Christmas, that he is God himself who took on full humanity. Because you and I would not be able to keep the law of God. And you and I would not be able to bear the penalty for sin. But he did it. He did it for us. The cross is the place where love and faithfulness meet, where righteousness and peace kiss each other. God is perfectly gracious, but he's perfectly true. He brings perfect peace, but he does it along with perfect justice. God didn't have to say, your sin wasn't such a big deal. On the contrary, it was such a big deal that he himself needed to die for us. But the confidence that you and I can have when we begin to wrap our minds about what a powerful truth that is, it's unstoppable. This, of course, doesn't mean that there aren't uh, sins that still have earth earthly consequences. There are things where uh, someone may need to, to face a judge or, or there may be abuse where things need to be, to be dealt with in some other way. But, but here, we recognize that God is doing something. He's accomplished something in Jesus that has consequences for you and I in our life. So how do, we, how do we think about this? If Jesus already accomplished salvation for us, peace should be here. All of these things should be right. But there's still so much conflict in my life. There's still so much conflict even in our churches. There's so much conflict in the world. Does this mean that Jesus has failed? Not at all. You see, we know as believers that as we think with anticipation, with our puck about the coming that we know that he has come and we know that he is coming again to finally set things right. That he has taken the penalty for sin on himself. Let's think about it like this. I used to work um, at uh, COSI a long time ago. 
Some of you might remember it used to be on East Broad Street, right across from the, from the original Wendy's. If you're from Columbus, you remember that. I used to work there at that one on the first floor, and one of the things that I loved to do was a particular experiment where what we would do is take kind of uh, some cups of water, and I would take a kind of cup of water, and I would have another one, and I'd pour some water back and forth, and I'd let somebody see it, and then I'd have some, a few people around a cart, and what I would do is then I would take a little bit of a powder, and I would pour it into one of the cups, give it a quick stir, and then I would love to take that cup and dump it right over top of somebody's head and everyone would scream and panic like ah! i'm gonna be drenched but of course nothing came out of the cup and it didn't come out of the cup because we were using a compound called sodium polyacrylate and it's the stuff you probably know it if you're a parent from the inside of your baby's diapers that stuff is so absorbent it's not going anywhere It's such a goofy thing to think about, in a way. But Jesus is like that for us, and we can be like that for those around us. Well, what do I mean? Instead of, instead of uh, water or something, the circumstances of life coming at us, where we then just dump it out on the next person by way of all of our uh, hurt feelings or our gossip or the things that we might tend to carry on, we can instead be the place where those things stop. When God punished Christ on our behalf, we no longer experience that wrath of God, right? Well, in a very similar way, you and I can know how we can deal with these difficulties of life. That when the worry and the anxiety comes, we turn them Godward and we don't continue to spread it and pour it and dump it out on the lives of those around us. We can be the bearers of peace because God in us allows us to absorb those things. This is the rule of Christ in our hearts that we read about already this morning in Colossians. Let the peace of Christ to which indeed you were called in one body. Rule in your hearts and be thankful. Is everything right with the world now? No, not yet. Oh, it will be, but not yet. But right now, Christ, the King of peace, is speaking a message of peace to you and I. He's calming the storm in our lives and in our hearts. He's bringing everything together and setting things right. And he's making it so that you and I now are the place where all of those things can stop. We're not sowing uh, discord and gossip and everything else into our families or our relationships. Instead, when it hits here, it stops. We bring it to the Lord. We hear instead the voice that speaks peace. I want to close just by reading the final verse here for you. One bonus verse. Verse 11. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. I love this picture. From the sky, from the ground. Heaven and earth. The, the, the picture of 
everything being set right, of perfect peace, of perfect shalom, of everything as it should be. Seeing God for who he is. This is the reality that God is calling us into. Would you hear the voice that speaks peace? Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you allow us to hear your voice in your word. That your very spirit reaches into our lives and speaks peace to us. Help us to be the sort of people who hear you, who trust you, who speak to you, who long to know you. We praise you, God, that you are a God of peace, that you are a God of perfect love, of truth, and of justice. And you have made it so that all of these things are true. We praise you, Lord, this morning in this way. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.